Welcome to Black's Academy and also welcome to our monthly market mix. In our monthly market mixes, we provide Black's Academy students with a little bit more information than just about the U.S. stock market. We provide a top-down view and vantage point so that our students can be more aware, more educated, and more able to move forward in finding investing and trading opportunities. This monthly market mix comes at the end of the first quarter and what a fast first quarter it was. Uh, you just blink and you, pretty, you almost missed it. And we kick off the second quarter here as well, but we're gonna review what happened in the first quarter and we're gonna take a look at what we should expect for the next quarter also with the next month. As a reminder, the monthly market mixes are to go quickly. This is attuned to what you would normally have at a trading desk and at a, at a professional trading environment, like a head fund. So I'm not gonna spend as much time as I normally do explaining things, but I'm gonna give you a viewpoint of what to expect from each market and just some general observations. With that being said, let's go. Off the top, big topic from Q1 for 2022 would be inflation. Right off the bat, before you talk about anything else, we can talk about inflation being not only thought about like we did in prior years, 2019, heading into coronavirus 2020, people were whispering about inflation, but the economic measures that we use, like the consumer price index, a lot of these price indexes are used to measure different various things about the economics of the whatever economy you're looking at, but the consumer price index is one that directly observes the rise in inflation as seen through a quote unquote basket of consumer goods. Uh, sometimes they have it with energy included, but rents, utilities, food prices, gasoline, all these things are included in the CPI. And the CPI itself is at a near 40 year high. What that corresponds to is that's the Fed saying, hey, because prices are out of control, you can see it in just about every facet of the American economy. You can also see it overseas as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. But because of this, the Fed must raise rates and they've already started in March. They did the first 25 basis points, which is actually 0.25%. They already did the first raise. The next big topic, man, we'll cycle through the markets and show how this was the Russian-Ukraine war, use of Ukraine war. This is really like a second or third act, depending on how you look at it. But we want to talk a little bit, show a little bit about how did the markets react. And by markets, we're going to talk about the equity markets. We're going to talk about bonds, but we're also more importantly going to talk about commodities and Forex or foreign exchange. A lot of times when you hear these market recaps, you have people gloss over these markets, but in truth, you had a lot of action in commodities. You had a lot of action in commodities before uh, the war kicked off, but there were a lot of opportunities there, still a lot of opportunities to go. And as we're heading into Q2, I want you to be aware of this. Even though we're heading into earnings season, which we're going to talk about briefly, there is action in a lot of the markets, especially for those of you that are traders. For those of you that are investors, I'll just say, Buckle up, Buttercup is going to be a little volatile across the markets. Expect that for the, at least the foreseeable uh, future, the next quarter or so. But we're going to pause right now. Let's hit the charts and start from the top down. Our first chart, as always, is going to start with the S&P 500.
All right, so what we have here is a daily chart of the S&P 500. I wanted to make sure that we highlighted sort of an inflection point. I'm not gonna go into the detail that I normally would with my technical analysis and price action stuff. You have to subscribe to Blacks, get into some of our classes, get into some of our discussions to get some of that. But for now, we're just gonna start with the inflection point that was roughly two years ago at the market bottoming out at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. As you can see from here, markets drill straight up. But at the beginning of 2022, you can see if I line this up, we had a big sell-off to kick off this year. Depending on where you were, depending on how your portfolio was aligned, and a lot of people were aligned in really overdrawn sectors, if you ask me, they saw this pullback in price. But when you look at it in perspective of where we've been, Market has been up over hundred percent since the lows in two years. The market pulled back here and I'll actually, I could do this one better. Pull back and people started losing their minds. But in context of the move, you tend to have a healthy retracement. And I think what we saw in the first two months of 2022 was really just a healthy pullback in the equities market. Let's pull up here, as you can see, coming right across this action here. I'll pull it in just a little bit. We hit the first Fibonacci retracement. I can already see, and I'll highlight it a little bit as well, that we had some price action hits as well. Yeah. If you come back, you look, you can see that there's some support area here, which kind of corresponds with here. You'll find that oftentimes price action techniques correspond with Fibonacci and other systems as well. We use an amalgamation of all of it to make it work. I think just looking at this, seeing how the S&P has rebounded significantly. If you look at the downswing, I'm going to put another set of just kind of markers on here to let you know, we use this 61.8% move as a signal that once you cross beyond the 61.8% in this situation, the market's going to go up higher. And you can see the S&P is pretty much pushed up against it. It's lower and is now starting to push even higher. So we should honestly expect, I expect the markets to probably get back to uh, where they were at the end of 2021, which puts us at 4816 or whatever. It's not exact. Don't even worry about it. But not just looking at the stock market as a whole, just as an S&P 500, specifically one of the big markets that made big moves from coronavirus was tech. And tech is best exemplified by QQQ. If you're a futures trader like I am, you'll use NQ to find the futures market. It's going to look exactly the same, but I find that this ETF is usually really good when we're making comparisons. And it's pretty much the same thing that you see here. Same thing as the S&P 500. You got to the end of the year last year and you had a big sell-off. A lot of sell-off came from a lot of different reasons. Uh, some of it was just companies rebalancing portfolios, but I think a lot of institutional hands actually saw the handwriting on the wall with regards to what we were just talking about, which was inflation. If it's not apparent, if this is your first time listening to us, you'll understand that generally speaking, Inflation is geared towards being a bad thing for equity markets. The reason is, is because as you start to increase the benchmark interest rate, the cost of money itself tends to become more expensive. So it becomes more expensive to borrow, more expensive to do things. And not just talking about loans and mortgages and stuff, but you're talking about payroll for businesses. You're talking about all the things that businesses do at the larger level that has been relatively cheap for over a decade now. So it seems to be that the show is over and companies are going to start facing a lot of headwinds in terms of how they make their money. Hint, this will 
probably start to factor into investors, their perceptions of how earnings are going to be. And we'll start to see that probably this quarter. So again, for those into stocks, whether you're trading or investing, this earnings season will likely be a very interesting one because it will start to reflect investor sentiment about how inflation is about to hit the stock market. But back to the NASDAQ here, if I go from the same low that we were talking about coronavirus, March, 2020, pull the same retracement act that we did with the S and P 500, you can see here that in the S and P 500, we went to a 23% retracement of, of the market. But you can see here in the NASDAQ, even if we do you know, like some price action, just look, looking at some blocks and things of that nature, you can see that there's a support zone right through here. And I like to use support zones as well as Fibonacci because you get a better sense of timing. Uh, you get a better sense of accuracy and you can see that the price penetrated below this 33%. I'll add maybe a 38.2%, but I'm not exactly sure just eyeballing it if it got down there. It got close. But again, almost in the same manner as the S&P 500, uh, the NASDAQ has rebounded and started moving higher. A lot of this has shaken out as the markets are starting to shake out from the seeming stability in the Russo-Ukraine war. The war is not over, but there's less uncertainty. And what you'll see is that as I zoom in here, and I could have done this on the S&P 500 too, as the war itself kicked off at the end part of February, there was an initial shock, even here in the United States, which we had necessarily nothing to do with the war, but the uncertainty of the event hits the, hits the financial markets, globally speaking, and so you start to see markets reflect the effects as well. As we've seen what's going to happen, see how the belligerents are playing out, see how the world stage is playing out, and there's no escalation into other belligerents entering the fray just yet. You can see that the markets here, especially NASDAQ, which again includes high beta stocks, that things of that nature. Tech is generally high beta, high volatility. So way up, way down, you want to get some action. There's a lot of risk involved in investing in tech stocks compared to other stocks. So the market has rebounded really well since the beginning of, well, middle of March. And I don't know, just eyeballing here, but I'm about to test it. I don't think that the NASDAQ has hit the 61.8% mark yet, like the S&P 500. But since the S&P and NASDAQ tend to be pretty correlated, it probably will and probably will move higher. And so, for now, we should watch probably this 370, 374 level to see if the market gets above it. If it does, that's probably a good indication that tech will still go higher. You can start piecing out some of your favorite names to go higher as well. Now that I've looked at the larger market, S&P 500, uh, the tech market, the next rotation that we typically do is into the small caps. And the easiest way to look at them is the small cap, small cap Russell 2000 ETF, IWM. I'm going to back up just a bit. We can get to see just roughly speaking, the same action that we saw again from the coronavirus market low. I would have normally marked off here as an interesting spot, but I can see that already since the end of the year, but what was interesting here, I say the end of the year, you can see the small caps. Sometimes they tend to march to the beat of their own drum. They tend to be really correlated with the S and P and NASDAQ on a longer period of time. I can pull that up and show later, but. In the interim, in the trading range, in the areas where there are lots of opportunities to see where there's differences, you can actually see that the high, the peak was made in November and not in late December. So you could say that 
the small cap actually moved lower first. And a lot of that happens because small cap companies tend to have different sensitivities than the large cap and even the large tech indices would, would imply. Here again, I'm eyeballing this, but I'm pretty sure if I draw this, it's going to be about a 38.2% retracement and it's right on it. 38.2% hits right down here. We'd have to come down to about 50% to get down to where I marked off this price action area. Back to a prior right before, again, it's January of 20 before we got down there. I don't necessarily, it's interesting looking at this chart. I don't necessarily see the same drive higher that I do on the larger indices, which again is very telling. So I don't see a move here, but instead I see a pathway. If I do a comparison here on a percentage wise basis, you can, again, you can see the correlation, but you can also see that largely the S and P has moved up a little bit more than the small cap indexes. I guess this is probably the best look to see the comparison because again, S&P came down, hit to 23 and bounce. You've seen the small caps come down, hit the 38.2% retracement and it's moving up. Yes, it's moving up again, it's correlated, but it's not moving up at the same rate. And to me, just as a technical trader looking at chart patterns, I don't see the same look. So as I see the S&P going up higher, I'm looking at an opportunity here, maybe they, the small caps go lower. Uh, for those that are advanced in the trading or want to get that way, you could consider maybe hedging your bets between the S&P and the small caps by basically buying one and selling the other. For example, what you can do is you can buy S&P or buy big, larger cap companies, expecting them to go up in price, and maybe you can sell some of the uh, smaller caps. Just depends. But this is how we bring out ideation just by looking at the same markets. One of the things, if I take some of these Fibonacci levels away and just focus on where we've been, if I look at the move down here and draw another set of fibs, we'll probably start seeing some outlines of resistance, maybe around this. We've already passed 30.2, but maybe around this 50%, which again comes into kind of a noisy area in terms of where the market's been. Noise really chopped through 2021. And indeed, I've, now that I recall, yeah, S&P 500 did great in 2021. NASDAQ did great in 2021. Small caps didn't do so well. Comparatively speaking, they still, a lot of them still rose up in price, but compared to his, I guess you say his bigger kindred, not so much, but we may be able to see something that turns out here. I'm not sure, uh, but that's a possibility as well. So I like to keep upside targets, I like to keep downside targets. This is what could happen because this is honestly what I see, which is again, divergent from the S&P and also the NASDAQ. But we don't stop our stock markets right here. I want to take you now across the pond and we're going to go look at, and I do, I will use the features here because I trade this market using features. This is the Nikkei. The Nikkei is the Japanese stock market index. It mirrors the S&P. A lot of the markets, especially since uh, the 21st century, tend to mirror each other, tend to correlate. But what you'll find is that just like what we found with the small cap index, you can see here the Nikkei, the actual high here was not at the end of the year, but it was actually even earlier. It was in September. Nikkei started chopping lower into this year in September of 2021. But what I will tell you, I do like about this pattern, just identifying some highs and lows. You can see right here, boom. And it reacted off of this high. This is just classic. Uh, what was once resistance now becomes support. 
And we can also show that this includes some Fibonacci's as well, coming off the low. I'm not going to draw the little arrow. You guys are used to me by now. And I'll put on an additional Fibonacci level. You may or may not have been used to and show that once again, this is a little price action corresponding with Fibonacci to give you a pinpoint accuracy of what happened. Bounce off this 41.4, moving higher. I do expect, I think the yeah, Nikkei has crossed or is about to cross that 61.8% marker. Sure, Nikkei looks to go higher. I think Japan, in a lot of sense, has been a benefactor here. It's been, they've had a really laggy economy for the last three decades. But I can see that their stock market has moved up, and we'll talk a little bit more about the currency. You have deflationary periods. They have a very special relationship with the currency. But I think in this situation, we'll start seeing the yen continue to move lower, uh, especially against the U.S. dollar. When I talk about that in the currency space, but you, that will also correspond with their stock market here going higher as well. So if I had to guess, and I don't have to, but I am anyway, I kind of think that we go back towards the highs here. That puts us up at 31,000 in the Nikkei. Now, in the same region, we're going to go to another juggernaut of the area. Typically, the Tokyo Exchange uh, and, and the Nikkei is considered to be bigger than where I'm going to next, but we still have to be aware because now we're talking about the largest economy in Asia, and that will be China. And I'm looking for the Shanghai index. So one thing about China, even though it's the world's largest manufacturers, second largest world, single economy after ours, you'll see that again, this is where things start to diverge. And a lot of the diverging is their cultural differences. They don't play necessarily like the rest of the world plays in terms of globalization, some of the things that keep the stock markets around the world fairly linked. So if you really want to be particular about it, you can say that the Shanghai index made a real true high here in February, 2021. And then it repeated in September where the Nikkei made the high. And then again, you see a lower high right at the end of the year, December 10th, then it starts to roll off and rolled off very heavy. You can see like this pattern to me doesn't look anything like the others, it looks more of a corrective pattern in general. And what I mean by correction, I'm actually talking about an alleyway type correction. And I don't see any of that changing. So for example, I'm not going to do a full Elliott. I just want to illustrate the point that I'm looking at is that we actually have a three motive wave move up, which in itself, three waves are corrective up to this high, just from the vantage point that I'm seeing on this daily chart. And then we had about the same thing. We had a, a, a really a three wave move lower. And I would imagine we may be getting close to the end of it. But just to keep in mind, boom, you can see the 61.8% coming back across some minor price action, some risk. So there's some potential support lower. But honestly, I can't say with any confidence that I would expect that this market would go up much higher. In fact, I would maybe come up here and I could be dead wrong, but seeing the pattern, I think we come and we move lower at this point in time. I don't know much about the Chinese economy in terms of how they're dealing with or their juxtaposition to anything with the, I guess you say trade embargoes on Russia. I don't think they're even valid, but right now we still having supply chain issues, them being the world's largest manufacturer going anywhere from Europe to Asia or even over here saying a lot of manufacturing products. 
supply shocks and uncertainties still are going to play along with their um, environment, and that's going to be reflected in their stock market. Interestingly enough, though, I will say that I think for the the, the Shanghai Composite, it must be said that remember in China you can't necessarily short, short stocks, so it's a one-sided affair as well. I do want to move out just a hair to get a big. Oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And this is why I was saying it was it's a it's a correction. If you look at the Chinese stock market, and we can go all the way back to 2005, look, they're still peaked back here at the Great Recession. They had a big run up before in 2015, before the election in 2016 here, but they really haven't recovered much. And this isn't even adjusting for inflation. I do see something of a trend line, just loosely fit, that will come through here. So maybe a bounce down to that trend line, maybe find some support, but yeah, Shanghai Composite looks completely different. Also shifting along now, I'm going to go look at two. I'm going to go and look at the Nifty 50, which is like India's version of the Dow. And this is going to take us back to the more global look that we were used to when we're looking at the S&P 500. So again, you, we may not be able to trade the Shanghai Index, but I will remind you that the Nikkei, you can trade it in futures, you can trade in contracts for difference. Same thing for the Nifty, the Indian Index. We can trade this just like you could S&P 500, NASDAQ, et cetera, et cetera. Looks about the same, except for I will say that the actual move lower here is a classic pattern that I love. This is, again, a three-way move, three-way pullback, and it moves out. We call it a measured move, but we've had the same type of thing where you're going to find, I'm going to be able to put up here probably 27.2% retracement. I'm just eyeballing here. I almost made it, so maybe 23%. 23% retracement, boom, it hit it. Again, a little price action there, didn't quite make it, but it has already broken higher. It's easy for me to, I'm not even going to bother with that and say, oh, it can go higher. Sure, okay, it's almost there. So just looking at what to expect from the Nifty 50 from India, the highest established in October of 2021, this was another one. I see a lot of, I guess our Asian community had the markets kind of move down, stepped down earlier than the S&P was more resilient. It waited until the end of the year and that's, there's a lot of factors for that, different types of funds and things that nature like to do their distributions at the end of the year, not even relevant. The other thing I can look at while in India is as well, a broader market look, and this will be the Sensex. It's practically the same as the Nifty 50, just like looking at the Dow versus the S&P, you're going to get about the same thing. I'm not going to beleaguer this. You got the same pull. Hit the two, this one did hit the 27.2. It's a really clean look, uh, maybe even cleaner than the Nifty. So you got your, your price action resistance become support and now become support again across here, 27.2. It looks like it's higher. So if you have an exposure to India's equity markets, it looks like it's on and up. So now we're going to look at, instead of looking at Asia, we're going to look at Europe. Now Europe should have a little bit more disruption. I think Europe took uh, coronavirus a little differently, but I'm going to first start out with the FTSE, uh, which is UK probably could look at maybe FTSE futures. Yep. Why not? Again, general speaking from everybody bounced off the bottom of coronavirus in March, two years ago. But what you can see is that this is a less pronounced bounce. In fact, it hasn't gotten back to the highs that were back in May of 18. And that has a lot to do with Brexit, a lot of the macroeconomic things that were going on in the UK before coronavirus came and stifled it as well. Focusing in a little bit more on this one, and that's because of 
I guess you would say, some of the dependencies that you'll see of the UK, even though it's separated on the island, it has some dependencies on Russian oil because of proximity. And so the conflict in the area had a much more pronounced effect on it. And you can see that as we look at where the conflict pretty much started at the end of February. And you can see that the UK index dropped considerably, dropped about 10, nine, about 10%. So you had about a 10% drop, which is significant looking at all the other drops since the big one in coronavirus. I've got to do is step back from this one a little bit to see where they are. And again, it's on an upward motion that you can see, again, 21st century stuff. They're, they're seeing onward and upward in the same vein as all the other major equity indexes in the world. But I think, again, their high is in May of 2018, but I think that reflects some of the geopolitical things going on and unresolved still, mind you, in the UK. So from the UK, I'm going to go to the CAC 40, which is the French stock market. I'll do it on an index basis, not the dividend futures. And you can see us like, again, slightly different picture. We actually made newer highs this year. Interestingly enough, the French stock market ended up making newer highs along with the same lines of the S&P 500. And it's doing the same jazz as we had before. Penetrated a little bit below this high. Maybe it's pointing to a, probably pointing to a Fibonacci level that's a little bit more distinctly, more accurately showing where there's actually some support down here. And as we can see, yep, 41.4% or people like the traditional 38.2, you can see bounce off of here and it seems to be moving higher. It's played around with 61.8% to the top side. If I had to guess again, unless this takes a lot of time, if it keeps pushing on up, we're going back to the highs and probably making new ones. Um, not that familiar, but France, in a sense, is a little bit more shielded than the UK is from uh, Russian, from the Russian conflict, and it can reflects a little bit more here. Now, the next economy, the largest economy in Europe, which is going to be Germany, I'm going to show the DAX index. We can see a slightly different picture. Again, this one's a deeper retracement overall since the coronavirus low of 2020. And, but it ended up making a high, so then it moved lower. But you can see, given the juxtaposition to its ties with Russia, they were building a pipeline before everything kicked off. I think a lot of the, the business has resumed in a sense, but there's still ongoing sanctions. There's a lot of geopolitical risk here. And as you can see, uh, the markets fell much lower, even lower than that 41.4% in France. You got, you end up with a, about a 44.7 before it moved up higher. And just eyeballing it here. You can see that Germany has not really hit the inverse 61.8% level that I said, hey, normally if it hits it, it still needs to get above it cleanly before I decide to say that this is going to be one that's going to go much higher like I did with some of the other indices. So I think that there's going to be a lot of resistance here at this 14,919, maybe round number 15,000 in the DAX index, just as a top side resistance. Now, if you break over it, you know what usually resistance turns support and vice versa, get above 1500, you can go 16 keep going higher as well. I haven't really addressed the inflation part of the aspect, but I will say that this, that typically stock markets and inflation don't have a great relationship, at least as you're talking anecdotally. But what I find is that depending on the environment, depending on the macro environment, 
you have to look at the bigger picture than to just rotely say that because inflation is going higher and the Fed's going to raise interest rates. That's automatically going to have a negative effect on stocks. It may over the longer term because of the things we talked about already, but in the short term, a lot of times the forward momentum that you see from the economy at large, like right now, our economy in the United States is still operating fairly well, if not very well. We have gaps in the labor market. We have a lot of uncertainty in our supply chains, but in terms of production, we are producing far better than expected and on par with where we were before coronavirus. It's just that a lot of other factors are in there. So you can't necessarily say that whether we're looking at the German index or whether we're looking at the UK, the US index or UK index or whatever, that stocks are going to naturally just fall. It's something to take into consideration, but it's not a definite. One last index that I'll look at before we move on is going to be the Russian stock exchange. You're looking at a completely different picture because just like China, they operate to their, their own little tune. They made another high in, again, curiously, there's something significant about May and 2021 for the European indices. Do some research. As much as I hate to say that term, I do stand by the actual action. Find out what it is, but because finding out what it is, we'll find some opportunities as well. But you can see that the Russian index was under pressure as early as September. It failed to make a new high in September of 2021. And it's just been a landslide. I think a lot of people maybe knew that they were gearing up for war. That's an interesting candle here in January, but you can see in mid-January, you start to see a landslide. And again, as the sanctions kicked in and everything else, the Russian markets have struggled and will continue to struggle on the world stage because no matter how you feel about it politically, when it comes to trade and trade disruption, that tends to be a big thing. And that brings us to our second topic. Outside of CPI, we need to talk a little bit about the Russo-Ukraine war and how it has affected the markets. All right, so the obvious answer for a lot of investors and traders, and I remember the week that everything kicked off at the end of February, everybody wanted to talk about crude oil prices. They knew that Russia was a big crude oil producer. Even here in the United States, people worried about what's gonna go on. But here's a point of reference that I must make because it's relevant. It's not to say that the conflict didn't have some effect on the markets. In fact, it absolutely did. It's staring at us in the middle of the screen. All of this is a big run-up. It's about 25% in the price of crude oil from about here. Oh, so yeah, even more. You could say a 40, if you go from peak, or maybe I go from center, about a 40% run-up in crude oil prices in a short period of time. So you had classic commodity market spike in price. But what's also happened since then is you've had a severe retracement, about 81%, I would imagine. Those prices have receded since that peak. So yeah, an 85% like runs up and then 85% of that value washes out. This is classic commodity market behavior responding to world shocks and supply uncertainty. It's just investors doing what they're doing in the prices and the commodity markets reflecting. That's all good and great. But why? in the two months prior to, did nobody talk about this beautiful run-up, a rent-free run-up 
of even more, about 50%. Actually, if I go from tip to tip, it gets even bigger. Almost 55% run up in crude oil prices from December, the beginning of December. The reason here is crude oil is the lifeblood of the industrial economy. So as these economies are producing around the world, as things are rolling along mechanically, however you want to look at it, we still have the effects of inflation being seen, being reflected in the prices. The Russian thing, it's boom, and then comes right back because once the markets absorbed what was going on in former Eastern Bloc countries, I think, and the market reflects that, is that, hey, we got that. It's back, in my opinion, to going back and looking at inflation, going look, looking at rising prices. Commodity prices were rising before this. And you can see this coming out of this very anomalous when oil prices went negative. Never heard of anything like that in my life in 2020. But coming out of here, what we're looking at rising oil prices as an effect of real rising inflation around the world. The prices reflect that. Going forward, and I highlight this again in a couple of our Blacks courses, a couple other videos, that this was a opportune level to get short oil, just like I thought there was an opportune level to get short oil right before, and it was, there was it wasn't as long lived as I wanted to be, but right before the conflict kicked off, I wasn't sure that there was actually gonna be a conflict. So I was expecting that this move to happen was gonna happen over here. Turns out they did roll in, they shocked everybody, but we still got that sort of receding shock after the shock. And so what I see here, it's a little early. I'm not gonna make anything grandiose, but I, I see we're making higher lows but we're also making lower highs. And I'm, that's actually, I'm not gonna dare draw this, don't you? If you're out there in the world, don't dare call this triangle because it is not. Come hang with us for a little while to learn what a real, what a real triangle is. But I do see this until we break out higher or lower. But I, again, I see the rising lows, lower highs right now, but we don't have a lot of touch points to the top side. My expectation, which doesn't necessarily you know, count for anything in terms of the market, but my expectation is something maybe like this. And if we get something like this, then we can start talking triangles. Longer stance on this though, is that yeah, commodity prices still can go higher, but again, maybe the Fed tapering, bringing in monetary hikes, it'll bring up the value of the dollar and bring some of this stuff down. But for those that are actually trading, we have a little bit more opportunity because not, a lot of people weren't going to be able to pay for oil, oil contracts. And trust me, you do not want to trade some of the inverse ETFs or ETFs that are leveraged on oil that you can find in the stock market. Those are usually a bad idea. They don't reflect prices very well. And you tend to run asymmetrically against the risk. A little bit on that later. But there are other markets as well that if, like me, you started learning more about the countries in that region, commodities had a boon. And I saw other people talking about, oh, it was so tragic or commodity prices doing this for, if you're a trader, this was a grandiose time. And I'll give you one, maybe two markets and we'll move on. Did you know that Russia and Ukraine were major world wheat producers? I knew that the Ukraine was, but I had no idea that Russia was as high. In fact, Russia's the third largest wheat 
producer as measured by 2020 numbers. United States being four, Canada, usually find a lot of places that have uh, ample land that, that just makes sense. You got China, India as number one and two. But if you take Russia and Ukraine's numbers out of production, because that's what happens when you set on a full onset hot war, trading goes out the window. And I don't mean trading in actual trading of physical goods goes out the window. You take them out, you take out almost a third, 29% of the world's wheat output. This is a classic commodity play. If you ever wondered why people trade commodities, other than just to rawly speculate, this is an opportunity set up and I'll show you. If you're a trader looking for something to trade, wheat might have been the answer because again, crude oil prices, especially trading the, you know, futures contract became ridiculously expensive as this move started accelerating higher. Wheat prices moved higher too, but they were a factor of five cheaper than the contracts on crude oil. And I've outlined on this chart where, just about where, and there's a little room for wiggle in here, when the invasion actually happened, you can see the initial shot moving lower and then the prices skyrocketed. But you didn't have to even trade on this reactionary type thing here. If you were actually looking at the markets, which is why I say it's good to take a worldview of markets other than just stocks. It just, to me, I, I just like it. You could have traded, sure, as it moved higher from this prior high, but in classic fashion, what we always do is we look for, this has been an, wheat has been a solid uptrend, again, reflecting sort of the food-based inflation that was being baked in even before coronavirus became a thing. You can start to see all the way back to 2016, we started to see wheat prices rising, right? Nobody really paid attention, but even as late as into January, February, we had a beautiful, again, lots and lots of touches. This was resistance points, resistance points. Once it broke through, it comes back and becomes support. And you find your pinpoint levels using your Fibonacci tools. Learn more about this at Blacks Academy courses. Hint, hint. Let's do the tried and true 61.8, see what we get. Yeah. But if you want to be really fancy with it, and you know about 67%, you probably add that one on as well. This is getting in before actually seeing the move, before actually knowing what's going to happen in Russia. Why would you want to do that? How would you know to do that? If you're a technical trader patterns, some people call this bull flag. Again, it's, our, it's in our measured move doctrine. There's a lot of reasons to get into this move here. And again, wheat was a great market to trade. Along those same lines though, as wheat started to push up here, you started to get limit updates, which means again, the futures market wouldn't even let you trade. So the market was just, I guess you could say in free levitation until now, then it became free fall. And then that all, again, this always happens in commodity markets. Same thing that happened in crude oil, you're gonna see here in, in wheat. As the conflict started to become stable in our minds and our collective investor psychology, you start to see prices recede. One thing to keep in mind as before I move on from this level to another market, an even more accessible market, you can see that we've tapped 61.8. If it starts to hang around here, hang in this area again, just like it did over here, maybe consider for a long position. Just a thought. Anyway, another area, corn. 
Russia's not so much, but Ukraine produces a lot of this as well. And again, you can see reflected in the price, but you can see it had a run up from October of 2021, big move up retracement and then extend out. I might have to go down to show you, but again, this reflection here, really easy move. You could have gotten in middle of January before the conflict was a thing, same type of deal. If we're going to continue to see commodity market, um, price appreciation as a result of rising inflation, if the fed doesn't act as fast as we're seeing, or if just inflation tends to get more out of control than it is right now, we will still see these food stuff go up. Or if there's further escalation in the Ukraine, Russian conflict, war conflict, you could see three different factors could push corn futures higher. Most people don't even think about corn futures, but for the price of your favorite stock, you could buy and sell corn futures. Now, granted, I must say futures is a quote unquote riskier market because the rules are a little different. You have those limit up down days and you have different things about margin requirements, but due diligence is required. We're just putting the markets out there. You've probably seen a lot of markets you would have never seen and you're seeing how they're correlated. Let's go coffee. Coffee is not going to be affected by the, the, the Ukraine, but you can see that over a long period of time, since 2020 bottomed out, it didn't really have the same response to the coronavirus over here. Coffee was actually moving higher long before everything else. It sold off here, but it sold off on its own natural rhythm because again, people found ways to consume coffee, even in the perils of the pandemic. Same thing though, if you're looking for some opportunity, we may actually have it. There's a resistance point looking like it's turning to a support. And the thesis is simple. If you think food prices are going to continue higher, if you think production, and everything else is going to stay the same, there may be some sort of buying opportunity in here. Or conversely, if you think everything's going to normalize and go lower, there's room for selling probably up in here. So just another market that you can see correlates to everything that we're talking about. And I want to go back to something again, talking so I can highlight this again about the CPI. Really quickly, again, we're near 40 years in terms of high. There hadn't been a lot of inflation that we could see and measure. Now, people started seeing it in its rents and things of that nature, but we're at or near all-time highs as long as you consider when it adjusts. Now, inflation year over year, and I still think 3.3% 3, 3 is a little hot. But normally speaking, you would look at inflation anywhere from the two to 3% range. We're more than double that right now. And you'll read and say that a lot of that is part two, what they call a base effect, which happened in coronavirus depressed the prices of a lot of different things, because again, the world seemed to be grinding to a halt. When that happens, the base effect looks at the cost of something in one year and then directly the next year, of course, with the financial stimulus that you saw to individuals and especially to businesses you're going to see an inflation in prices. Some of it is production. Some of it is actually supply and demand. Some of it is just, we had a lot of pent up money supply that just needs to come out. We're seeing that the Fed initially said, and a lot of people analysts said that it would be transient. It is starting not to look so transient now, but this is really the statistics behind what we're looking at. I just wanted to make sure that we were all aware of this before we move forward. But now we're going to go a little bit more into some of the other markets. We've already covered equities. We've covered enough of commodities to make it interesting. And now I want to turn attention just slightly to bonds.
as a surrogate for the bond market in general, I like to use TLT, which is a 20 year treasury bond ETF. In some way you'll see, you'll hear me say, don't use a certain ETF, but this one is large enough size has been around long enough. And it's probably, if you have some retirement funds, you probably have a piece of TLT somewhere in your 60, 40 portfolio, five out of 10. I really don't recommend that kind of stuff, but in looking at bonds, which are considered to be the opposite inversely correlated stock, that's not necessarily true, but you can see that bonds respond when there's economic pressure. And you can see again, where the stock market went down, we look at the S&P, NASDAQ charts, you can see from TLT, we started seeing TLT move higher from the end of October of 2018. And I will tell you, I remember trading in other markets, alternative markets in this period of time, we were looking for a crash to happen in the fourth quarter of 2018. Plunge protective team stepped in, the markets did the whole Santa Claus rally thing, saved the day right Christmas Eve of 2018. But you can see that TLT did not forget. And in fact, it was a pretty solid investment, especially considering bonds, which tend to not have the same level of risk and then therefore, therefore not the same level of return as stocks. But I mean, you had almost 60% from trough to peak. And this peak, of course, being coronavirus. When the coronavirus onset happened, TLT did what it's supposed to do. Now, curiously enough, you can see that as the stock market's gone down, stock market's gone down, TLT was receded in classic fashion. What I do find interesting here is there's a little price action stuff going on here. You can see that we've touched on the support kind of bounced. Uh, you can see these levels, it broke through it a couple of times, but you can see that this current where we are 128, we're just a little bit above that. That's a level of some sort of contention that I would actually watch going forward. And the reason is simple. If we're uncertain and we are, about where the stock market is going to be up, down, sideways, whatever. One market to watch, and this is an easy one. You can find this anywhere. I, I didn't even take you to futures markets this time. You can actually look at TLT. TLT is a really interesting one because it trades, again, in ETF fashion, trades publicly traded security like stock, but it has a lot of the attributes of a bond. And if you start seeing, I see this again, this three-wave pullback, into this support level, if it starts moving up considerably through some of these other resistance points, we may have an environment where we're starting to see bonds starting to move higher and investors starting to become more flaky, more uncertain, or maybe more certain about the negative side of stocks. So again, keep TLT on your radar. And I want to bring another bond concept to you as well before we move on. And that's something that you may have seen in the headlines recently is that in bond markets right now, there's what's called a yield curve inversion. Now you might be saying to yourself, what's a yield curve inversion? In short, in the bond markets, just like in stocks, you have different types of risks that people take for different types of return. Bonds are essentially an IOU. You give a bond issuer some money, they pay you pretty much these fairly guaranteed payments of income at a certain percentage based on the risk you're about to take. Typically speaking, as you can see on this blue line to the left, that the further out, the longer you're, you're allowing somebody to borrow money from you, typically the higher the yield you can get. You can see out here at where it has 30, this represents 30 years. 
And there's a 30-year bond, just like there's a 20-year, 15, all the way down to months. You get more for the 30-year, for allowing somebody to hold your money for that long period of time to the matures, than you do for something that's a much shorter period, like a five-year, two-year, a uh, few months. In the inversion of the yield curve, and this is the yield curve, the opposite is true. Investors will actually, because of really supply and demand issue, they demand more for short-term safety than they do for the long-term. They don't believe in the long-term. Like, I'm not letting, letting you hold my money for 20, 30 years because I'm not sure if the conditions are going to be stable for that money to even be worth anything. So it's not worth the risk. So what happens here in the yield curve, and this is usually just an, a transient type thing where the shorter term yields are actually higher than the long-term yields. Now this points right back to what we were talking about in 2019, we had a flashing sign that the yield curve had inverted and we had another flashing sign right here at the end of March that the yield curve had inverted. The two-year bond was paying 2.44% and the 10-year bond, which is again, five, eight years longer, was paying 2.39%. Very close, but still, usually when that happens, that kind of presages the fact that there's a recession on the way, just like we thought there was going to be a recession in 2019, but it sort of didn't happen. And then 2020 happened. But historically speaking, when you have a yield curve inversion, there's a good chance of a recession. Also, yield curves are bad at market timing. Like I just explained, they tend to flash long times before the actual event happened, considered to be like Dr. Michael Burry from the big short, but he started getting really bearish on the housing market about two years before it actually happened. So this yield curve inversion, I want to make sure to bring it up because you'll see it in the news. You'll hear probably people talking about it. Do people go to work anymore if, at, at the water cooler, if they still go to work, you'll hear about it. This is what it's about. Watch TLT. And I'm going to actually show you another thing to watch to give you an idea of how I look at it. Because again, the chart tells me most of what I need to know. Now we've moved back to TOT, but I'm not going to stay here. In fact, I'm going to get a little fancy and I like trading view because it allows you to do this a little data manipulation. This is just minor stuff. What I'm going to do is I'm going to actually look at one of the indicators that you look at, which is basically the spread between the two year bond and the 10 year bond. And we're talking, when I say 10 year bond, the U S 10 year bonds, there are other bonds for other nations, all over the place. It's a fascinating market, but for right now, we're going to talk about the U S and we're going to go U.S. two-year bond. And I'm going to actually divide that by as a reference rate to the U.S. 10-year. And once I divide one by the other, it should give me a chart. So as you can see, if I take the two-year divided by the 10-year, you can see that this value skyrockets when coronavirus. But if I even walk, if I could walk this back even more, I'd have to find some more data. There was Brexit through here that pushed it up. And even though that doesn't necessarily relate to the United States, it's a global effect, that type of thing as well. You, if I start to pinpoint some of these run-ups, they have this. But my point is not the run-up. My point is that where we are right now is the opposite of a run-up. So if economic danger is signified by this two-year divided by the 10-year, but the chart going up, our chart's going down. So... Even though the yield curve is flashing that the recession may be ahead, this not well looked at outside of professional spaces indication of looking at the spread between the, the two and the 10 says that we should be cool for now. 
Now, if this starts to change up and I can, just like I do for any chart, I can actually draw some fibs on this. I draw fibs on everything. I don't see any relevant levels, maybe through here, price, little price action through here. There's a historical support there, but as long, until we start moving about the support, I think that for right now, I can't really say that we should be expecting a recession or move down the stock market, at least not yet. Maybe a couple rate hikes and we start seeing companies earnings start floundering. Maybe, but based on just this chart, not so much. Now we've got two more markets to go. I'll keep these quick, even though one of them is one of my absolute favorite markets. And I'm going to take you directly to that now. And that's going to be, for those of you that don't trade them, again, very heavily leveraged market like futures, but it reflects a lot of the global macro environment inputs, which means that it tells a lot about the economies. You're pitting one currency against the other, Euro here versus US dollar, which is the most heavily traded currencies out of all of them. Out of the about 6.6 .6 trillion that's traded in currency markets, this will account for probably about 40% of it, if not more. On this chart, I don't see anything particularly interesting about the Euro pit against US dollar other than, again, we seem to be kind of doing a lower high, higher low. I will say that this one looks more like a triangle than the prior chart that I said did not look like a triangle. So again, maybe we come down, bounce this and then start to etch our way higher. No real major input here, but this is like the world's, you know, most heavily traded currency, very liquid market. Even the spot, even the retail exchanges markets are pretty liquid for this one. So. It's a very tradable thing if you hadn't thought about it. The pound versus the dollar. Now this will look at the UK versus US. It's gonna show a slightly different story, but I think looking just at this, and again, reference point is always coronavirus low down here. I see a pretty classic retracement setup here where we go from this low to this high up here. And I'm gonna put probably a 44.7 on here. This is a level that the pound tends to like. So honestly, I would think in the short term, dollar gains strength, which is what evidenced by when a currency chart moves down, the second currency, the one on the right, which is called the quote, gains in strength, whereas the base move as the price moves up, it's the one getting stronger. But maybe something like this short term, but it could honestly go much higher, of course. And this is a daily chart, but this is goes back. You got levels right through here to loosely double top here. It's not the greatest, but maybe the pound gains strength later. Maybe they come out of their Brexit woes, or maybe something happens to absolve any of the fears that they're having with the Russo-Ukraine war. But technically speaking, a bounce is 44.7 seems to be about it. The other major currency that I'll talk about, Japanese, the U.S. dollar versus Japanese yen. This currency is used as a borrowed currency for institutional investors because Japanese yen, <laughs> the, the interest rate on it is negative. So you'd want to use it to trade and do other things with, but you can see that it has been a champ since the breakout of the war. And some of that reason is the fact that the US dollar itself is a reserve currency. It's the most widely circulated currency. And you can see that against the yen, everybody wanted to hold dollars pretty much rising highs. It's not really a triangle breakout, it's, it's more of a wedge type breakout. It's off to the races here. We've made a double top 
just about. And honestly, I don't think that it would probably stop before getting there. As a matter of contention, there's a level right here as well. But as a, as a sort of just a spot, if I were to guess, if it pulls down and then makes another move where it seems like you want to go back up through here, you've got a nice little shot as long as everybody still seems to be pensive. Pro dollar against the yen is, is a, it's an easy, uh, kind of trade. It doesn't really, not a lot of geo, geopolitical risk, uh, but I think as conditions are pro dollar here, this is a good one. And it, it's, it's been languishing in this range for a really long time. Anywhere from here, bounce and go higher. You kind of have easy targets. Now to reflect how currencies like commodities responded to the Russian war, the Russian Ukraine war. You have to look at it regionally. And so that's why, as I looked at the U S dollar versus the yen, you see a little bit, but as I looked at the Euro, even though Euro's involved, you didn't really see the war being reflected. The pound saw a little bit more, but if you really wanted to see how currencies work at this macro fundamental geopolitical, look no further than the Euro, not against the U S dollar, but against the Australian dollar. So this chart is a chart of the Euro, which again is your base and Australian dollars quote, which means you're quoting how many Australian dollars does it take to buy one Euro? The answer is well, right now, dollar 45 Australian gives you one Euro. It was way more than there it was dollar 62, but what you were seeing was a Euro lost a massive amount in currency speak of value at the onset of February ahead of the war for whatever reason. A lot of times the markets have a lot more information, especially currency markets have a lot more information than is publicly not public knowledge gives you, but you can see that the Australian dollar gained a lot of strength or conversely, you can say, and the Euro lost a lot of strength as we headed into the war. It was already, this is a classic pattern of mine. I love this again. This is that same measure move type move, but what it does is it combines this price action resistance here with Fibonacci. And a very, this is one of my favorite patterns to trade because once you see it, it's hard not to see it moved in here to sell from here. You make a ton of money, you ride into the wave and there's still more to go. As you can see, it's still pushing the lows. The reason is. As Europe is under pressure from the uncertainty of the war and the trade and all the sanctions and stuff, Australia is in the region still able to trade with its major trading partners, which is China, other countries in Oceania, like New Zealand, other countries like Japan, South Korea. Its life has not been upended. And in fact, they tend to be doing a lot of better in this quote unquote, dare I say, post COVID economy, which this is why the Australian dollar would gain. The other thing is Australia is a commodity based economy, iron ore, lots of raw materials will be used in manufacturing, which is why they trade with China. They benefited from the rise in inflation. So if you're thinking about it, maybe Australian stocks may be something to look at if you're worried about inflation, because if you find the right Australian stocks, especially those that are in commodity based, uh, business. This may be a play for you, or you could just outright buy the Australian dollar uh, against other currencies. This was an, this was an easy one. In fact, if I look at the Australian dollar versus the U S dollar, you can see 
it wasn't doing so well until the, the war kicked off. And then you can see that the Australian dollar has actually appreciated the U.S. dollar. And remember, U.S. dollar is in high demand because one, we know that the Fed is going to raise interest rates. And two, as uncertainty goes, people tend to flock towards the U.S. dollar as a reserve value. They believe that the dollar will be worth something no matter what. So uh, Australian dollar against the U.S. dollar still appreciated here. And again, in the same type of pattern that I saw on the Aussie, on the uh, British pound, I see something that's similar that's already happened. It appears Aussie dollar tagged 41.4% retracement of this move from the coronavirus high low to February, end of February 21 high. Classic move and we're moving higher. Australian dollar probably will see some resistance here, but if it breaks through here, you can see the price action here, breaks through here, it's onward and upward probably to tag the highs. Easy peasy. Just like Europe was under pressure, the pound, this is another one of those, again, classic play. I'll show you the same thing, the same type of move again. And this is going to be, I don't have the same price action, maybe a little, but it's not the same price action, but you can definitely believe that if once I pull this, you'll see the Fibonacci come into play. 50% double talk, 50% move, fall. And this is Australian strength because Australia as an economy was safe and actually benefited from the chaos and the rising um, commodity prices. This is how, in effect, currencies work. They work at a very high level, macro level, but you actually can trade them on a very small level. And a lot of this stuff, even if I change time frames, you can see how the levels worked out. And there were lots of different levels to give you indications as the market, this market in particular, pound is going to lose strength against the Australian dollar. But now you have some reason that has to know why. And again, at some point in time, this is going to reverse. Now our last market, last but definitely not least, I could not leave out crypto. And the reason why I wanted to bring up crypto markets, not necessarily all the other strange coins and things of that nature, but I wanted to bring up crypto made a high in the same era that some of the world stock market indexes did, the small cap index did. And everybody was still talking about Bitcoin to a hundred thousand at this point. And then it moved lower and much, much more, much lower. It wasn't necessarily a surprise. I, I was actually anticipating this, but what's interesting. I did not anticipate was as we started to go find a base in this year. And that's, this is really what you're doing. You find a range and the, the price starts basing. What I started to think was going to happen was. I, once again, my, my bread and butter play would be something like this. I felt like Bitcoin was going to extend itself lower, but in fact, it started basing itself and finding a support zone here, and it has now thrust itself out of it. Uh, do I still think Bitcoin's going to 100,000? Not anytime soon, maybe, but not anytime soon. What I do see is we've already touched 41.4 this area and really up around this 50% area, because again, if you look backwards, 50%, maybe a little bit above, there's a lot of little price action contention through here. We can see Bitcoin go all the way up here. And this makes sense. Bitcoin, 50,000 people start thinking again, it goes back up to here and then maybe turns lower. But if it does remember, Bitcoin is not necessarily a hedge for stocks or things of that nature, but it does tend to go with risk markets. And what I mean is as riskier markets like world stock markets, US stock market, 
things of those nature start to appreciate in price, Bitcoin, for the most part, will hang in there. But when the world starts falling apart, I don't see Bitcoin having the same hedge effect as maybe people think that it would or it should. I just don't see it yet. Maybe, it'll, maybe it has yet to prove itself. But in the meantime, in the interim, until it shows me that I'm wrong, which is perfectly fine, I see something along these lines. It surprised me going higher here instead of going low. I thought it would go lower to this level that was slightly back here in the July 2021 lows. I thought we would go from here and then move higher, but we did its own thing and markets are free to do who are we to change them. I will add one more, and this was just an overblown one. We can bring up gold. I bring up gold. Gold is considered to be an inflation hedge. You can see as I take you back, once again, we got like a 2016 type low going on here. We, we start seeing a basing effect that was way back five years ago. In terms of the Ukraine war, there was some reaction, but a lot of this could be attributed probably just to, this is even before coronavirus, you start seeing a run up in gold prices. This was an indication to me that there was shadow inflation in the markets. I'm not a really big fan of gold, especially not to hold it as an asset. Big shiny rocks is so very 12th century to me. You can trade just about anything and I still will trade gold. Um, again, we've come into standard, typical Fibonacci zones. Hit to 61.8, any kind of basining here, you see a support zone here. Uh, gold has is well within its rights to go higher as an inflation hedge. And really simple, where we're we going, probably back to the highs. So if you trade gold futures or you trade some ETFs, this is an opportunity. Pretty simple. Now, just to recap, again, in the first quarter of 2022, we've seen record high CPI. The Fed has begun its rate hike starting in March last month. And you'll may expect up to seven more 25 basis points hike, hikes, which could take us up another 1.75% at a minimum. The Fed may, depending on how hot CPI is, may raise it more than 25 basis points. It's up to them. The Russo-Ukraine war, we saw how it affected the markets, had big moves in commodities, really brought Forex alive in a lot of senses. And as we go forward into Q2, make sure you're understanding that even though the yield curve is flashing, that a recession is imminent, that does not necessarily mean it will be in the short term. In the short term, it could be the next six months. So keep abreast of what's happening good and bad and make sure that you have your ducks in order when you're making your decisions. Don't just lock into an idea because it's repeated to you. Q2 earnings season, as it kicked off now, is going to give you a lot of idea. Pay attention to small cap stocks. Small cap stocks tend to be a canary to mine. If you start seeing that they're having inflationary pressures of knocking down their earnings, the big boys are going to be around the corner. If you're looking to trade into earnings or you're holding and investing and wondering that you need to reallocate, watch the small caps. They'll probably tell you what the big caps are going to do. They may be a quarter early. Who knows? Ongoing war concerns, I think as horrific as the war is, as any war is, I think investors feel like they have digested most of the uncertainty about it. 
and you're going to see a lot of the things like the oil prices, energy prices, food prices, unless there's some other type of development that happens that trumps what we've already been, you're going to start to see those prices normalize. And lastly, I didn't talk about U.S. real estate much, but I will say this, in terms of investment, real estate for a lot of different reasons is in a bubble-ish of its own. I don't know if I could actually call it a bubble without it being tongue-in-cheek, but real estate too for the investors is considered to be a hedge against inflation. If you're thinking about owning, being landlording, renting, you can always raise rents to reflect ongoing inflation concerns. And if you look at probably your, I guess you say loan to value in terms of mortgage, those of you that have mortgages, things of that nature, your house actually becomes more of an asset. You have more equity in it because it's inflation goes up with, and the Fed turns, turns out to hike, your money invested in your house is actually worth more. So there's a, you know, consolation. Now, if you're in the house buying during this period of time, God bless. <laughs> That's all I can say. But real estate itself has a lot of attributes that can be, can help you out your portfolio in terms of inflation. Just keep in mind, please do diligence. Just don't go out listening to your brokers and your friends. Just step through it. Thank you for your time. Our monthly mixes will not be this long, but we had the whole plethora of the markets to go over, a lot of different things to go over. As we come into the next one for May, it'll be a lot shorter, but you'll have a better idea of what's going on. And maybe we'll talk some more about what to do when we sell in May and go away, or if we're selling May and here to stay. This has been our monthly market mix. Happy to have you at Blacks Academy. Hope that you always have enough to move forward. Thank you.